Welcome back in for another weekend edition of the Great Lakes Divide podcast with Tom Crawford. I'm Ryan Schuling, Heather Frary, our sponsor at the Record Lounge. With the sound you hear coming in and going out of every podcast recording, you can check them out in the Rio Town Marketplace, down South Washington from 496 and downtown Lansing. Check them out. They're moving now to the front storage space of the Rio Town Marketplace. You'll be able to see right in through the window there all of their wares, all of their equipment, and of course, all of their music on vinyl. New releases every Friday and all the all time classics and greats as well. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Well, Tom and I were both right on our predictions that Michigan would cover. Tom unfortunately falls short on his outright win prediction for Michigan. He said 24 20. I said 24-17 Penn State, and that was the margin. One touchdown victory for the Nittany Lions as they hold on after storming out to a 21-0 lead early in this one. The Wolverines, to their credit, scratch and claw and fight their way back. Had a chance to tie this late, but oh, whoa, 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 and lo and behold, Ronnie Bell. In the end zone, a perfectly thrown ball by Shea Patterson. Hit him in the hands, hit him in the chest. And it drops to the turf, and you could see the agony on poor Ronnie Bell's face on the sideline as he was crying and beside himself. You can only imagine what it was like in that locker room after the game as Ronnie was beating himself up, and Shea Patterson even said, hey, look, you know, maybe I could have ran it in. I mean, what a great teammate Shea Patterson was to kind of wear that one for Ronnie Bell. But this was a storyline throughout in a 28-21 loss for the Wolverines that basically drops them out of contention in the Big Ten East, it's down to a two-team race. It's Ohio State and Penn State, and that's it. Those are the two schools with no losses in the conference. Michigan now 3-2, and two, Michigan State 2-2, two and two, and unless a lot of funky math and weird upsets happen, it's going to be either the Buckeyes or Nittany Lions going to Indianapolis and yet another year will the Wolverines fall short. We bring in Tom Crawford, and Tom, I want to start right there with Shea Patterson in a performance that I felt he was good enough to win this game. He wasn't outstanding, but he was 24 for 41. He was on point with a lot of passes. He was feeling pressure in the pocket. He would sidestep it, delivering great balls. But even before Ronnie Bell had the game-tying touchdown slip through his fingers, drops were a major issue in this game. Donovan Peoples-Jones still doesn't seem like he's himself. And just off a little bit, these receivers, and Nico Collins was not immune to this either. I saw him drop a couple. I noted that to you throughout the game your sense on how Shea Patterson played, how this offense played, and if you feel they were good enough to win. Well, yeah, they're obviously good enough to win. I mean, when you know when you outgain your the, the team you lose to four seventeen to two eighty three, you hold them under three hundred. Um, you, you've done you've done enough to win. It's like you've won the popular vote in a presidential election, but you don't win the electoral college. You right. know, I mean that's that's the bottom line. Um, yeah, this was a Shea Patterson that that we were all excited about and. You know, a couple of years ago in January when he came in for the recruiting visit at the basketball game and uh, the five star and the guy that, you know, is can, you know, can move in the pocket. And and uh, obviously with the RPO that came in with Josh Gass, we thought this would be a perfect fit. And finally, we're seeing that it's finally kicked in. 
unfortunately, you had to play a complete game. Uh, you know, I mean, that's just the, the bottom line. And, and what frustrated me during the game and ultimately the outcome is, you know, you dig yourself a 21-point lead. You have to play. You have to literally pitch a perfect game mm-hmm. the rest of the way. And it's like right. this reminds me so much, Ryan, of the Lloyd Carr teams. In the latter part of his career, they would have to dig themselves a hole before they got things going. And then that's it. That just, it was literally a flashback from that. And against good teams and whiteout conditions, deemed as a, the toughest place, the toughest environment you could ever be in. Um, and yet, uh, you know, you go back to, uh, let's go snap number one, where you had to call a timeout. You're, you're the first play of the game. You're not even ready to make that call. I mean, this is where it frustrates Michigan fans in the sense that they're that you know the drop passes, the offsides, coaching mistakes, not looking mentally prepared at the start. Although a lot of silver lining with that second half performance, there definitely is. But there are only so many consolation prizes that Wolverines fans could come away with here and feel good about. It. I know you don't, Tom, but here's the thing: I'm going to build on a point that you just made. I think coaching let Michigan down in this game. And you mentioned they called a timeout before even one second had elapsed from the game clock in this game. You're not ready coming out of the gate. You have to call a timeout. And that wasn't the only thing. Uh, With a a 58-yard field goal attempt, Jim Harbaugh elects to send out Jake Moody instead of Quinn Nordine. I mean, I I don't even know what kind of doghouse Nordine must be in that he's got that big leg and you don't even roll the dice. If you're going to roll those dice, you're the Riverboat gambler that Harbaugh's trying to be Moody doesn't have the leg to make that. So at least with Nordine, you know he can boom it. He might miss it, but at least it would be long enough. That decision puzzled me. Why not just go for it there? I, exactly. I mean, these are the things. That, that was kind of like the exclamation point on half number one that what, you know, of, of why uh, they are, who, you know, why, why Michigan is who they are right now. They just, they, they just fall short of expectations. Going into this game, as I as you indicated, I predicted Michigan to win 24-20. I was I've never felt more confident going into a game that Michigan was going to win this football game, and it goes beyond the fact that they're just due. I just think they're a better football team than Penn State. Uh, Penn State, when I looked, I really studied at length of what they did against Pitt and some of these other teams. I don't think that good. I don't think they're that good. I mean, they're 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 good, but they're not as good. They're not worthy of being in the in the in the in the conversation, if you will, for a CFP. Ohio State will absolutely roll them. There's no question in my mind with that game being in Columbus. So yeah, you, you, these are the things that that drive you crazy. Michigan ranked number 16 in the country. Made this slip a little bit, but no Big Ten title again. Once again, Jim Harbaugh is going to get ripped. He got ripped all during game day. He got ripped all week. The, the polarizing team, 1-10 against top 10 teams under Jim Harbaugh. And the numbers speak for themselves. And, and unfortunately, Tom's right. In the matchup, if you look down you know, the, the tail of the tape, this was Michigan's game for the taking. They outgained Penn State in yardage, as Tom mentioned, 417 to 283. They nearly doubled up the Nittany Lions in first downs acquired, 26 to 14. They were clear winners in time of possession, nearly 38 minutes to just over 22 minutes. And as far as Shea Patterson goes, he tied his season high with 276 yards passing, which he also had in that 52 nothing drubbing of Rutgers. Charbonnet had 81 yards rushing, not too bad five and a half yards per carry. And you look at Penn State, and again, Tom's so right, they storm out to a 21 nothing lead, and let's break that part of it down because Michigan did. They had to navigate 
a perfect path from that point forward just to get back in the game. And they did that. But defensively, I, I don't know. I saw a lot of heat coming down Brown's way, and I think it was deserved in this game as to what the defensive philosophy was going to be. Okay, you want to take away the run? They did that. Penn State combined had just over 100 yards rushing. That's not going to kill you. But in coverage against a guy like K.J. Hamler, it just seemed they couldn't solve this equation all night long. He was an absolute uh, wrecking crew, one-man, little guy, getting past defenders, getting onto safeties, burning Ambry Thomas, going deep over the middle. Big plays for a Michigan native who had six catches, 108 yards, two touchdowns. I saw everybody all over Twitter once again saying, how do we let K.J. Hamler out of the state? Well, he originally was leaning Michigan State's way, as a matter of fact, but he went to a quarterback camp. It was revealed during the game broadcast with one Sean Clifford, and he felt so good with that combination that he was going to go where Clifford went. Clifford went to Penn State. They were kind of it turned into a package deal, and that's why K.J. Hamler went to Penn State, and he was just, again, Michigan fans are going to see this young man in their nightmares. Michigan State fans better get ready because I think he's going to tear apart the Spartans as well, but just your thoughts on Michigan's defense and why they fell behind 21-0 in this game, Tom. What did you see? Well, I, I tell you one thing. I'll start out right now. To, not to throw that. Let's get the sour grapes out of them. I, I think if, if, I'm a, if I'm a receivers coach in college football, I tell my receivers to basically commit offensive interference every, every time you need be because it's only going to be called maybe 10 to 15% of the time. And uh, that, that was blatant offensive interference, the first, the first touchdown that Penn State scored. Uh -huh. I mean, on Kalik, you know, Hudson. I, I mean, you saw that. We all saw that. So, I mean, that's something that I think that was a lesson learned. Commit offensive interference. It's just the, the smart thing to do. <laughs> that's number one. That's number one. Number two is the Don, this is a difference. This is a huge contrast, Ryan, to the days of Bo Schembechler when Bill McCartney and Gary Moeller was his defensive coordinator. That was all zone, the secondary work, okay? Keep everything in front of them mm -hmm. and make that team go the length of the field uh, in, in maybe a 10, 12 play drive if it takes them because they will make a mistake before they get there. That was the theory. So Michigan never gave up big plays. They get, they lost big games, you know, because it'd be, you know, they kind of nitpick their way down the opposition and win the game with a field goal, or whatever, but they never got beat by the big play. Don Brown's teams get beat by big plays because he does the riverboat gambler stuff. Yeah, he he's taking a chance of getting to that quarterback before that ball gets up, before you got man on coverage. And and a couple of those throws, I mean, Amory Thomas in one particular throw, the the coverage was outstanding. I mean, it was Clifford just nailed it. Absolute back shoulder nailed it. So I it, it's not I'm not completely down on the secondary, but yeah, they and they made the adjustments in second in the in the second half. And I think Jim Harbaugh felt at halftime, which why he made the statement. That um, that hey, this is we're 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 about ready to have our finest hour. It almost ended up being that way because I think he knew his team was going to play well in the second half. They did, but once again, closest only counts in horseshoes and dancing. <laughs> I'll add hand grenades there. The old saying. Oh yes, hand grenades. We can't forget that. I, I do want to see Tom Crawford dance though. Although I know he doesn't I'm feel really like good. it. I'm really really good. Somehow I don't doubt that for a moment. But uh, Tom, the disappointment, the bitter taste this leaves. In Michigan fans' mouths, and I, and I get it. I you know every single time it seems that Michigan has a chance to win a big road game against a highly ranked opponent, they do not get the job done. And it was all the more uh, disappointing when Ronnie Bell had the 
game-tying touchdown in his hands. And, and poor Shea Patterson, because I thought he threw some great balls in this game, and some of them were under duress. Some of them were flushed out of the pocket. Some of them were uh, very uncomfortable positions to throw the football, and he would deliver it on point. And yet his receiving core, this is one of the main themes of the game. Again, I started with this, let him down with several drops and none bigger than Ronnie Bell in the end zone. Just your thoughts on Ronnie Bell on that that, that play that should have tied the game, the aftermath of it, and just what this does to a poor young man psychologically. Well, you know, Ronnie Bell, everybody talks about Ronnie Bell. We talk about this in the press box. Boy, if we could do a, a, a highlight reel of Ronnie Bell uh, of almost plays because, I mean, he runs great routes. This kid you know, is a, an, an absolute, is an enthu- he, I've, I've talked to him. He's an enthusiastic kid. Um, and, and he took it to heart. And I'll tell you what, that, you know, I mean, I mean, he's getting mocked by some idiotic fans, you know, sick fans for crying on the sidelines from a certain school, but we won't go there. But my point is this, is that, uh, he actually cares. And yeah. that's something that I think that takes it to heart. The Michigan fans have been wanting to see in their players, like watch them hurt when Ron Simpkins back in the seventies, you know, balling his eyes out. I mean, because they put football is, a, is, is a unique sport, Ryan, as you well know, there's so much preparation that goes into such few payoff moments, 12 opportunities in regular season and so much freaking work year round. So, you know, that's why it's, that's why football is a little bit different than any other sport. So I was actually glad to see that. But the thing about why I thought Shea, back to Shea, he had a good game. Yeah, his receivers looked soft, including my man Nico Collins, who I raved about, said it was going to have to have a big game uh, for Michigan to win this game. And he had it. He led them with six catches. It was the fact that Michigan finally got the running game going, which I said, you've got to run the football. Jim Harbaugh is 39-2, and Ryan. When rushing his, when his team, at Michigan, when his team rushes for over for 125 or beyond, and they got that. So, I mean, that's the formula for Shea Patterson. If he can get some kind of a running attack going, and they've done it now two weeks in a row, that bodes well moving forward. And I couldn't agree more because my concerns coming into this game that I expressed in our preview podcast were that Michigan's offensive line was not going to be able to generate enough push, running alleys. I thought they did that. I thought the offensive line, in large part, played fairly well. I thought Shea Patterson played very well. I thought Charbonnet did enough in the running game for Michigan to have a balanced attack. They did all that. Receiving core, though, again, in a little bit of alligator arms at times. I saw, you know, focus and throwing to the tight end. Nick Eubanks yeah. had four catches. I thought they needed to do that. I, there's not a lot. I would look back on this game, Tom, and go, well, you know, if Shea Patterson only would have done this, I don't have many of those critiques of Shea. I thought, again, he's been under fire all season long. People talking about, is he the guy that we thought we were getting? I think in this game, you got him. I thought he was, again, good enough to win. I thought he was poised under pressure. He didn't crack. He didn't fold. They're down 21 nothing. That's even more pressure on a quarterback. And he had them in position within striking distance to tie this game and take it to overtime. So, again, you're not looking for silver linings out of a loss like this. It's still a loss. I get that. But I don't know how, how much, if any, blame I would pin on Shea Patterson for this one. No, I, those are tremendous points you're making, Ryan. And in fact, if he plays like this, there's no doubt in my mind they'll go into the Ohio State game uh, without another loss. Without another loss, so there'll be that that two losses going into that Ohio State game. I clearly think they're going to beat Notre Dame next week. I'll be extremely disappointed mm. in this program if they don't beat Notre Dame at home next week, Saturday night. Your venue, it's your time. 
it's about time. So then I think they'll beat Michigan State as well, and the two road games along with that, in be, with a bye in between. So they go in the Ohio State game with nothing to lose, and I think, you know, they, they got as good as – why not? Why freaking not? The 50-year anniversary of the 69 game. So that being said, if Shea plays like this moving forward, they're going to be pretty good offensively. But you're right. I mean, alligator arms. Listen, in football, <laughs> easy for us to say. Yeah. But, you know, you're going to get hit. And you might as well catch the ball because you're going to get popped either way. Just, I mean, you, you are. You're going to get lit up. So catch it. I thought Zach, on a, on a couple swing passes, he's kept looking. Yep. DPJ, DPJ last night, Ryan, on Twitter, uh, got labeled soft. And you know what? It was hard to defend him on that. It was, I think, again, he just doesn't look like himself. He doesn't look like he's in sync, and that includes on punt returns. He, he didn't look certain would be the word I would use. And, again, the drops in this game killing Patterson on key drives and, and most notably the last one. And then you see, and this has to be all the more frustrating for Michigan fans, you see a clutch guy like K.J. Hamler on the other side with six grabs for 108 yards, two touchdowns, and who do they get the ball to? When it's, it's money-making time at the end, it's third down and, and long, really. They needed to get several yards. They got them on what was amounting to an inside jet sweep handoff. Michigan couldn't get the stop. Harbaugh challenges it. I think just kind of desperation mode there, trying to get some kind of overturn, and he didn't, and that was the ball game there. But, again, the word I would come back to for Michigan fans in this game is frustration. You look back and go, the Michigan was the better team. I don't disagree with that, Tom. I think I look at these two teams on a level playing field, and you know, if ifs and buts were candies and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. I get that. Penn State wins the game. But to not be able to contain Hamler, a, a wide receiver on an inside give there, that was the oh, backbreaker. Was just, oh, yeah. Just oh, the backbreaker. Right. I mean, no, because, I mean, what I did is I flipped the script on that. I go, what would Michigan have done in that same scenario that Penn State, you know they would have been punting. You just know it. You know they wouldn't have got it first time. But back to Michigan um, offensively, as good as, as things – were you know in particular the second half, but I gotta tell you something. When it's third and long and you're running the football, this is the part that I have to scratch my head sometimes with the play calling that I I just don't get. Uh, in particular the first half. Um, so I I, I just hope that um, lessons learned from this game, uh, moving forward offensively. I hope this is the turning point. I hope they don't get down. I think this Notre Dame game is going to be cru- uh, critical, and we'll talk about that probably more on Wednesday. Mm-hmm on our podcast, but the fact that there's still big games to be played and you're done with these road games in terms of, you know, where you have to beat a ranked opponent on the road, that whole thing that Michigan can't seem to conquer. You don't have to deal with that uh, anymore this year. The only time you play on the road against a good team will be in a bowl game. Okay. So that's all behind them. So they have to worry about that. Just win, keep the, you got three home games, win them all. You should. You should beat Ohio State. I don't care how freaking good they look. You got them at home, and you got good enough players to beat Ohio State at home. It's ridiculous if they don't go in there and compete and and hopefully win that game. And they should roll Michigan State at home, and they should roll Notre Dame at Mm. home. They have no excuse. No excuse. There's good enough players on this team to do it. I think they proved that. Again, last night in a hostile environment, night game on the road, under the lights, a big national stage. Michigan did not embarrass themselves. It looked like they might early, again, down 21 nothing. but the fight that they showed, it is encouraging. But now you got to recalibrate goals, Tom. And I know Wolverines fans are sick of hearing this. They want to go to Indy. They want to have at least that shot. They want to have a chip in a chair, to quote Phil Hellmuth in the World Poker uh, Tour. <laughs> and 
they <laughs> they haven't been able to do that. So you know, you're sitting back. No matter how this plays out, Ohio State, Penn State. You know, they've got the the loss head to head with Penn State, so they lose the tiebreaker there. They could run the table. They could even beat Ohio State and still not get to Indy. I mean, well, I guess. Hold a second. Hold, hold a yeah. second here. Oh, let me tell you something. I got to stop you right there. Okay. If they run the if they run the table. Yeah. And that means winning a New Year's New uh, a New Year's Six game. Probably. And beating Ohio State, giving them their first loss. This is a hell of a season. I don't give a shit about the freaking Big Ten. I'm telling you, well, I'm just going to be honest with you right there. If they run the table, this is a hell of a season. I would have to agree. It would definitely be chartable progress. I mean, think about it. Beating Ohio State, getting to 10-2, and two, getting the yeah. double-digit win season, you're right, that probably wouldn't be enough to qualify for the playoff, but it certainly would be a New Year's Six game. They'd be one of those at-large teams to get into one of those games, and you win that game, yeah, that is markable, chartable progress for Michigan. Absolutely, absolutely, particularly with the recruiting. And then everything, I, I, everything's not grand, but everything is pretty good. Everything's pretty good, and 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 you know the and the and the you know the Wally Cox lookalikes, the Paul Feinbaum geeks of the world who never played a uh, <laughs> one snap of football back in the Pop Warner days. Who comes? He seemingly has the answers to everything. Will shut the hell up. Tom's fired up, and I I really really appreciate the vim and vigor that he has <laughs> today as we recap Michigan in their twenty eight twenty one defeat. Again, like he said, we'll have much more in our midweek podcast about uh, Notre Dame number eight coming in. That'll be another 7.30 start time on ABC. And that will be under the lights in Ann Arbor at the big house as that rivalry is again renewed and restored to its former glory. So again, this is so weird. It's a loss. It hurts the way that it happened. Michigan's going to look back and go, but if we just did this, if Ronnie Bell just caught the ball, if we got to overtime, we had the momentum, we were playing the better football for the better part of the second half. So the message to the team that Harbaugh has coming out of this, you you mentioned the quote that he had at halftime. This is going to be our finest hour. I mean, I look, if you isolate that second half, I, I challenge anybody to find him to be wrong in that statement because they did a claw back, like I said earlier, the offense did execute the way that it needed to for the most part. The defense did slow Penn State down. After falling behind 21-0 in this game, Michigan would outscore Penn State 21-7 the rest of the way. But here is the rub, Tom. This is the entire tenure under Jim Harbaugh, really, playing 60 minutes of quality football tape to tape. Why is that missing? Where does it come from? How do they get there? I, I don't know. I mean, in particular, because I mean, the game, I mean, Ronnie Bell's catch would have been for the, for the lead. If in, in that KJ Hamler, that 53 yard touchdown, I mean, we saw it when Josh Metellus was out there on an Island with him as yep. a safety, there was mass confusion. When you look at the aerial shot on that replay, the distance shot in the replay at the second level, you see confusion, you see total confusion. And then, and then all of a sudden, I mean, KJ Hamler is reading that confusion and he takes off. I mean, this is the things you can't. This is when you have to pitch a perfect game when you're down twenty-one nothing, and that's that's imperfection. You can't have those kind of mistakes, and that's what that's what drives people crazy. Those are those are just ball kicking mistakes. I mean, right in the right in the gonads, right there. <laughs> you, you take you, you, you. I mean, Penn State was doing absolutely nothing at that time. Sean Clifford was looking pedestrian. He was looking for a place to fall in that third quarter. It was amazing turnaround. They've got to take this. What Jim Harbaugh's got to challenge himself because I did like I did like the optics from Jim Harbaugh. This went back to like the 16 season where he was, you know, complaining about calls and we, we saw more. He was more into the game. Yeah. 
I mean, it, 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 do it. You know, I, I don't 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 hold yourself back from 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 complaining about things. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, you you got to stick up for your team because your team your team is going to feed off that. I mean, Will Muschamp last night. I don't know if you saw in the post game lot. You know, you know, he, he lost the game and he called the officials gutless in wow. response to a penalty. Gutless, he called them. Okay, you know what? Why not? You know, Why the, not? The, Tom, there was one call in particular that stood out to me that Harbaugh was arguing that I, I was doing the same thing, and that was when Shea Patterson went into a slide and he took a hit and there was no call. And that, to me, was yeah. an obvious call yeah. that was missed. And, and they, they get that call. That's a 15-yard penalty. That's a game changer. Oh, my God. I mean, a, a, absolutely. So, I mean, and you know, I mean, that's – you you, you got – you know, I, I can go in the – you know, we all – you know, all fans do that. They default in or we got screwed by the home officiating things like the home cooking, blah, 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 blah. But you got to play above that. That's what winning on the road is so hard because not only managing the noise and all the, the vibrancy of this incredibly, uh, you know, college football environment at its highest, you have to overcome officiating, which is probably going to go against you just because I guess they're human and they, they get sucked into the home team thing. I mean, it's pretty obvious to me mm-hmm. that was a case. I mean, there were calls that went both ways. You know, one other thing that I thought Michigan, Sean McEwen did not play in this game, even though Michigan was as healthy as they've been all year. Nick Eubanks made a couple plays, yep. okay? But, God, does he fan on some blocks. Yep. Oh, my word. He swings and misses. He strikes out. Uh, they've got to get McEwen back. That's another key ingredient um, for Michigan to win these last games. Final question as we reflect back on this one and look forward from here, Tom. You had mentioned, and again, I I like the vinegar that you're coming at us with this morning, but uh, Notre Dame coming into town, number eight in the nation. Michigan will probably, I would think, hold steady in the polls around somewhere between 16 and 20, I would guess. Will Michigan be favored in this game in Vegas? Where would you set the point spread right now? I would think it would Michigan would either it might be a push, might yeah. be a pick 'em, yeah. might or maybe one either way. I have no idea. Um, and maybe Notre Dame a one point favorite. I mean Notre Dame can run the football and they got a great quarterback, obviously. Um, and where Brian, where people are with Brian Kelly, I don't know. His stock is going up a little bit from a few years back. I don't know, but I I hope that the Michigan fans stick with their team. I think the key is to to get off to a good start in contrast to this past game and get that crowd lathered up on a, a you know, probably a potential maze out and just do, do what Penn state did. You know, what Penn state did to you do that to Notre Dame, you know, pass on the baton and, and, you know, make it a great environment. And I think they'll win the game. I'll be, I'll be surprised if they don't win the game. They should win the game and I'm expecting them to win the game. Once again, 7.30 kickoff time. ABC this coming Saturday. Well, much more on this matchup. Break it down for you in our midweek podcast, Michigan, Notre Dame, two oldest rivals in football, unless you count Harvard and Yale, and that rivalry renewed coming up on Saturday. A chance for Michigan to get back on the winning track, get the taste of this loss, 28-21 at Penn State, out of their mouths. Also coming up on Wednesday, Tom Crawford had a chance to go down to Ann Arbor for big for Michigan's uh, big media day, locally at least, with Jawan Howard in his first season as head coach. We'll have plenty of sound for you coming in our midweek podcast as we prepare for the Wolverines' life after John Beeline. And don't forget that our podcast, each and every time we play it out for you, is brought to you by the Record Lounge in Rio Town. That's located on South Washington, just south of 496, just south of downtown Lansing. Heather Frary and her crew will special order music for you. If it's hard to find, if you can't get it anywhere else, 
She will enlist her sources and contacts and bring it into the store within 48 hours guaranteed. You can find them on Facebook at The Record Lounge. You can look at all the new music coming in on Fridays there. Or again, just stop by in person. This is business the old-fashioned way. Just like walking into the record store in your old days, get the internet out of the equation. It's personal business, one-on-one, local business to top it off. The Record Lounge in Rio Town. Again, Michigan State on a bye. They'll have Penn State coming to town in East Lansing this upcoming Saturday. So a couple of highly ranked teams, the opponents for both the Wolverines in the form of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish and the Spartans, Chance for a big upset here, and uh, I got to say it, Wolverines fans out there, you better be rooting for a little brother come Saturday because that's the only chance that Michigan has, and it's a long shot to get back in this Big Ten race somehow. And as we look back at the action, it was a Friday night victory for Ohio State on the road. Again, they're number four in the nation, but I, I have not seen a team, and I've watched them all, Alabama, Clemson, LSU. I think LSU actually might be one of the two best teams in the nation. The other one is definitely Ohio State, and they rule Northwestern on the road. 52 to three, uh, just child's play for J.K. Dobbins, 121 yards on the ground, and Justin Fields throws for 194. He really didn't have to do a lot, and he was 18 of 23 in the process, throwing for four touchdowns. A very efficient performance by the Buckeyes, who again I think they're as good as any team in the country, if not better. Finals from Saturday, again the one that stands out, and we'll turn to Tom Crawford on this one. Maybe get your thoughts on the Buckeyes as well, but. Illinois at home on homecoming somehow the last second field goal pulls out what I think is the biggest upset in college football this year they win at home 24-23 over number six Wisconsin Tom you've seen both these teams Michigan loses 35-14 to Wisconsin they uh, make mincemeat out of Illinois probably could have been worse than the 42-25 road victory they got just a week ago but your takeaways from this win for Illinois, and more importantly, I think for the Big Ten and the big picture, the loss for Wisconsin, a bad one. Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, it's not all that surprising. You know, it is a little disconcerting. In fact, Lovey Smith has a bigger win this year than Jim Harbaugh does. But because, yep. um, you know, Lovey Smith seems to be the, you know, the guy that we all critique in Illinois program, no, you know, no energy and all that stuff, but I'm happy for, I mean, they played hard against Michigan in that second half and they fought back and in having Brandon Peters back there, they didn't have Brandon Peters against Michigan. And, uh, who knows that might've been problematic for the Wolverines. If he played against his former team, he looked terrific. And yeah, Wisconsin to me is, um, falls significantly short of Ohio state. I think they're, I think that's a 17 to 24 point win uh, in Columbus, Ohio State over Wisconsin. They, they just don't have the speed to, to match with them. So, that yeah, that was that, – you know, everybody kind of gets excited when you see that upset. I was happy for Lovey. Um, this is a one-team race, Ohio State. And the only thing left in this whole, you know, as far as the Big Ten goes, is, uh, is can Ohio State beat the school up north, as they call it, in that last game? That's the only issue that um, – which most people think they will – that's the only thing that, that's going to challenge them the rest of the way when you look at their schedule. But, you know, I, you know, I was struggling uh, at home. Maybe I was not that good. Uh, and then, I, you know, I, the, the Minnesota thing, you keep teasing me on that and wanted me to say when I'm going to buy into the Gophers, I'm still not ready. I still got to see him play Penn State, Ryan. Well, and we look at the rest of the scoreboard here, as Tom alluded to. Indiana wins on the road at Maryland in a second-tier Big Ten game that will have bowl implications, and this really helps the Hoosiers, a 34-28 victory for them again. Saves Tom Allen's job, basically, I think. 
that was the that's key for yeah, them. and they're five and two, and they had a good showing up in East Lansing. Very nearly pulled one out against the Spartans in a wild forty to thirty one loss there. Uh, Indiana again that that next tier team, and I think the the barometer team, the measuring stick team in the Big Ten right now is one that you just mentioned. That's Iowa twenty six twenty at home. They hold off Purdue. Probably should have won by more, but gave Penn State all they could handle in a 17-12 defeat in Iowa City. Go into Michigan on the Wolverines' homecoming, and that was a, a knock-em-out slobber knocker. 10-3 was the final score there. But who is Iowa? Let me ask you that existential question, Tom, and wh- where they are in this whole uh, mosaic of the Big Ten. They're just inside the top 25. They're 5-2 and two overall. They don't have any really big wins. They have a couple of losses by the skin of their teeth to both Penn State and Michigan. But I got to rank the Iowa Hawkeyes ahead of Michigan State. And I don't know that outside of the, the big six in the Big Ten, you know, who's better right now, Iowa or Minnesota? I'll give you that. Well, Iowa is like that bridesmaid that's like two down from the bride. You know, there's the maid of honor and then there's the first bridesmaid. <laughs> and then there's Iowa. And then there's maybe a couple more, you know, if you have a big bridal party. That's what Iowa is. Iowa is Mr. 8 and 4, Kirk Ferentz, tough, competitive, get the get as much juice out of every athlete you can, but they're they're never going to, you know, they're never going to threaten to win at all because they just they're always lacking, but they're tough. And that's, you know, they they don't blow out anybody. They compete with everybody. Um, even at home they don't blow out anybody. Uh, they're Iowa, and you know what? Iowa is good with uh, Iowa fans are good with Iowa. They, you know, it's a it's a it's a nice story, and you got the hospital tradition waving. It's everybody's happy yeah. in Iowa City, and that's why things will never change until Kirk Ferentz says it's time for me to go. And here's the thing with Minnesota: it's they've got this cotton candy record built up on sugar, pure sugar, seven and zero. Their non-conference schedule was not great. They beat South Dakota State by just a touchdown. They had to go to double overtime to win at Fresno State, a decent team usually, but not great, and from a smaller conference in the Mountain West. They beat Georgia Southern by just a field goal, 35-32. They go to Purdue. They win by just a touchdown. Then they roll off three more wins. They they handle Illinois. Now it was in Minnesota, 40-17. to They were home against Nebraska, and this is their best win of the year. Oh, 30, yeah. 34-7, to dominated the Cornhuskers. Only team in the Big Ten they faced and then beaten that has a winning record overall, and that's four and three. Nebraska two and two in the Big Ten, and they handle Rutgers on the road. But again, you can't read too much into that. Forty-two to seven. The rest of the schedule as it breaks down for Minnesota is as follows: home against Maryland. I think that's a win. I think they get to eight nothing. Oh yeah, eight no. And then Penn State comes to Minnesota. That's an intriguing game, and they go to Iowa after that at Northwestern. Probably a win, I would say, for Minnesota in that one. And then home against Wisconsin. So you're looking at three losses then still. Of the five remaining games, Tom, you are not buying the stock on P.J. Fleck in Minnesota. Well, I, I think I think P.J.'s done a tremendous job, but I, I, I just think their accomplishment level is going to be restricted because, I mean, their schedule is backloaded. I mean, when you have still Penn State and Wisconsin looming ahead in Iowa, I think, still yep. for Minnesota – I, I, that's at least two losses there, probably three. Um, I just, I just don't, I, I don't know. I said they beat, they beat Wisconsin on the road last year. So I mean, why, why would I say they can't beat him in Minneapolis? But I just, I just, I'm not feeling, I'm not feeling it. Um, I got to see it first uh, because they've had so many cupcakes leading up and now they're really, but that now they got the running game going and their defense is pretty good. 
Uh, so who am I to say? But uh, I, I think two more losses at least are ahead for the Gophers in November. Now, you mentioned earlier that Tom Allen had saved his job at Indiana. The road win at Maryland certainly helps. Uh, they challenged, they competed at Michigan State, which, again, low bar for an Indiana Hoosiers football program that has not been relevant for probably over 30 years. What about Lovey Smith at Illinois and that signature win at home over Wisconsin and what that does for his brand, for himself, for the team's confidence, for their bowl chances? They get to three and four. I mean, now, you know, it's it's within reason, at least, that Illinois could win three of their final five games and get to a bowl game. How big was this win for Illinois, for Lovey Smith, for the credibility of the Illinois football program? Well, it's huge. Now, you know, I mean, I... I <laughs> I I think he needs more work. There's more work to be done because I remember back in 1976, Alex Agassi. This is going back in time. Oh yeah. Alert here. I beat. I was down in Rossay. Beat number one Michigan, um, 16 to 14, and uh, Purdue is like a three-win team, and they beat the number one team in the nation. And Alex Agassi was fired two weeks later. So sometimes when when a program sees, hey, yeah, you had all that talent, you should have done better. Um, why didn't you do better? Because look what you did against the number one team. You get whacked. Um, but I think, I think Illinois' bar of expectation and, uh, is, is low. And that's just the way that program's wired. I think if he gets to a bowl game, he's got no worries. And I think he's into his job. I mean, I, you know, we, we look at the whole – everybody was on the field and he was jumping up and down and uh, players are into it, and uh, maybe that second half of the Michigan game turned things around for the fighting Illini. Well, they got a winnable game coming up this next weekend. They're at Purdue, and certainly one that if you can beat Wisconsin at that's home. Huge yeah. That's huge, That's big time. Now, if he loses that, now you're now you're back on the bubble. That'll be a noon start. couple teams stepping out of conference. Of course, Michigan won against Notre Dame in a game that nobody will be watching. Liberty and Rutgers taking place there, and I think Liberty's got a Ouch. shot to win that game. I was at Northwestern. <laughs> <laughs> I was at Northwestern. Of course, Penn State at Michigan State. We'll have a full breakdown preview for you on that one. That'll be a 3.30 Eastern start on ABC. Maryland at Minnesota. Indiana takes to the road against Nebraska. That's an interesting matchup to me. And then, of course, uh, this loses a bit of its luster with the loss. And I'm going to ask you this point, Blake, and I, I don't, I can't believe I'm asking this about a Wisconsin team under Paul Christ, but did they lack the discipline and motivation to avoid looking ahead to Ohio State? Were they victims of that here on the road against Illinois? Well, obviously, um, motivation uh, and, and then uh, decision-making, uh, schematic decision-making down the stretch, you know, Wisconsin could have closed this game out um, before the pick. Yep. I mean, you know, I mean, Jonathan Taylor, I mean, all of a sudden your gem of a player is not involved with critical plays. I, I couldn't believe some of, um, you know, some of the play calling by, you know, by Paul Chris, who it was one of these guys who, who seems to be, you know, everybody thinks he's, he's great. He, you know, he's a nice guy and uh, oh, he's underrated. So it's real chic to like Paul Chris. Oh man. Now that guy is, he's a coach. He's a hell of a coach. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Not so good of a coach yesterday in Champaign. No, he wasn't. And Illinois pulls off a shocker. 24, 23. Again, I can't think of a bigger upset in college football this year. The number six Badgers go down to one of the bottom feeders in the Big Ten. Quick note on Michigan State, Ladarius Jefferson, Connor Hayward, Brandon Boyer-Randall, Cam Chambers, Weston Bridges, and now a sixth player entering the Six transfer Six in three court. weeks. So that's two, that's two a week. 
I, is this going to stop, or is this just guys who are not playing and they want to bolt? Well, this is tight end Noah Davis, the latest. And you mentioned, Tom, it, it's not just six. It's six over a very short time frame and window. Yeah. And I know the new rules affect you know guys giving up on their programs. But the fact that this has happened you know, in, in a mass exodus fashion for a program that's struggling. Now, if Michigan State were winning and they were in the hunt and they had these kind of defections, I know Michigan's had a couple too, then maybe you don't yeah. bat an eyelash. But this, this again, is indicative perhaps of a broader problem at Michigan State, and that's the buy-in factor of guys that are just saying, you know what, no, no, this my, my future's not here at MSU in East Lansing. And the Spartans, again, I think they face – really a, a pivotal moment in the Mark D'Antonio era, and I hate to overbuild it, but at home against Penn State, should they be able to win that game? And they have fared fairly well against Penn State in recent history, but I can't think of a bigger game in terms of where this program could be headed when, they're, when they won't be heading. If they lose this game, and we're, we're talking, again, a, a late December bowl game that nobody's going to be watching just where Michigan State stands right now in light of these transfer portal entries, in light of where Mark D'Antonio was after calling Hondo's question a dumbass question about why he didn't revamp the offense, his staff shuffled the, the deck a little bit more. Your thoughts on Michigan State going into this game against Penn State this week after a week off? Uh, great point, Ryan. It's impossible to overstate your point. Um, impossible, because this is a huge game. This defines where the season is going. If if Michigan State uh, lose, you know, if they if they lose a close game, maybe they might be all right men mentally, morale-wise, moving forward. But if they get rolled at home, look out. I mean, it could be rats off the ship with this transfer portal. I don't know what's going on in the program, but you know what? I mean, this is happening all over. I mean, Michigan. I got some rumblings of a couple of kids who might uh, enter the portal at Michigan right now, uh, unconfirmed. Mm -hmm. So I mean, this is just this is just so that they've created this concept. Uh, and this uh, age bracket of you know of young people that if they're not happy they're going to try to get happy real quick by by transferring um, you know this is just kind of the thing to do these days and the rules have allowed that so it's not just not Michigan State alone but it just seems it's compounded when you have six in three games and your team is struggling people love to connect dots and try to tr create a trend of where this thing is going. Uh, especially coming off a 38 nothing thump, and then you have the bye week where you don't have an opportunity to make up for it. Huge, huge game. I think Saturday for both our teams, mm -hmm. Michigan State at 3.30, Michigan at 7.30. These are more pivotal games than ever in recent memory as far as where their season's going. Yes, no, no Big Ten title at stake, but where those programs are going to be trending coming out of the 2019 campaign mm -hmm. in the next year. Jerry Springer, final thought. Tom Crawford, your takeaway from Michigan. And I know this was a bitterly disappointing game for you. I could sense it in all of your comments uh, in the post-game recap here. But your message to Michigan fans right now. Well, stay with our team. I mean, do what other teams are doing. Do what other fan bases are doing to your team. I mean, make it just miserable for Notre Dame. Because there's Notre Dame fans will be in there. And I, and I, I can sense that that Michigan fans might, you know, might, I'll float tickets because there, there's no Big Ten title again since 2004. You know, you get, you know, people jumping off the bandwagon a little bit. But I, I think the fan, I'm challenging the fans to deliver it. I think they will and make it miserable. And then the Michigan team, get off to a good start. Figure out what you're going to do on that first snap in the first possession where you don't have to call a timeout <laughs> and rethink things. 
And it's all coming up this Saturday, a doubleheader on ABC. Just settle in. Tom Crawford will be down in Ann Arbor reporting in person live on site at the Big House. That'll be the nightcap as Michigan State takes on Penn State in East Lansing, 3.30 Eastern start on ABC, and that'll be followed at 7.30 under the lights in the Big House, Michigan. And number eight, Notre Dame. Wolverines likely to be ranked, as I mentioned earlier in this podcast, somewhere between 16 and 20. And again, both games on ABC. That'll do it for us from here for now. For Tom Crawford, I'm Ryan Schuling, signing off to the tunes of the Record Lounge in Rio Town. Our appreciation for our sponsor, Heather Frari, and this podcast. And you can find all the latest and greatest on vinyl and all the all-time greats as well. Find them south of 496 on South Washington in the Rio Town Marketplace. That's the Record Lounge in Rio Town. We'll talk to you midweek with a preview of this coming Saturday's big games for Michigan and Michigan State. Have a great week, everybody. Holly came from Miami, FLA. Hitchhiked her way across USA Plucked her eyebrows on the way Shaved her legs and then he was a she She says, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side Said, hey honey, take a walk on the wild side Candy came from out on the island In the back room she was everybody's darling But she never lost her head Even when she was given head She says, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side Said, hey babe, take a walk on the wild side And the colored girls go do 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 Little Joe never once gave it away Everybody had to pay and pay A hustle here and a hustle there New York City is the place where they said Hey babe, take a walk on the wild side I said, hey Joe, take a walk on the wild side